Hello, everybody. Welcome. We meet again. This is what? Number three, four? Four, I think. I've lost count. It's been so much fun. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Back for another episode of Try Not to Blink. In case it's your first time or you forgot what we're doing here, this is a podcast about the ups and downs, the ins, the outs, some news, tips, tricks, and just general discussion about those who live optometry life or the optometry lifestyle. So we'd like to thank those amazing people at Valley Contacts, of course. They're the ones who are making this all possible. Some wonderful gas permeable lenses of all shapes, sizes, and colors. Uh, of course, they do have the custom stable scleral lens, which uh, we will probably talk about at some point during this podcast in particular. In case you're wondering uh, who I am, my name is Dr. James Diem. I'm, of course, gathered today with uh, some some wonderful guests, one wonderful guest and my amazing co-host, uh, Dr. Roya Habibi. Roya, hey, what friends. is up? You know, it's a Thursday. It What's is. hot on a Thursday? <laughs> It is hot. It's been hot, too. Summer. There's a, I saw a solid red map trend going across the country. <laughs> we'll, we'll stay off the weather, though. We've got way more to talk about. I like it. I like it. So we have, we've been talking about this podcast now from the beginning of our podcast. We kept on talking about this. This topic kept coming up no matter what we talked about. And the topic is scleral lens controversies. And I feel like we could go in so many different directions with that. Uh, But there was one in particular that I was really interested in talking about, and that was sort of newcomers to the modality and uh, how people get involved in specialty contact lenses and what that what that looks like um, and a little bit of the new versus old. So I think we have a really special guest with us to help us chat about all this good stuff. So, Roy, I'll let you do some introduction. Oh, so proud to introduce Miss Sheila Morrison. She is a Canadian representing strong here in the U.S. She attended Pacific University, uh, Forest Grove, where she earned her Doctor of Optometry and also Master of Vision Science and a residency in cornea and contact lenses. But she is currently on faculty at UC, or University of Houston, sorry, College of Optometry, where she serves as the chief of the contact lens and cornea clinic there. Woo! I know. Dang, girl. Um, She teaches advanced contact lens, ocular topography, and orthokeratology, and she has uh, a clinical and research interests in both corneal scleral topography, myopia control, orthokeratology, and GP contact lens design. I mean, does that make you like, is that like a triple thread in eyes, <laughs> Sheila? Yes. You know it. You know it. <laughs> That's a pretty nice introduction. Wow. I mean, I'm not even done. She's yeah. also... Yeah. It's not your turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> She's also a fellow and active member on Scleral Lens Education Society and an ed- editorial reviewer of the Journal of Contact Lens Research and Science. And, done, dun, she is a board member of the Cornea and Contact Lens section of the Canadian Association of Optometry. Perhaps maybe she'll branch out to the American, but I think Canada's got her, Canada's got her heart. But most importantly, she uh, research, uh, lectures on these topics all across the U.S. So she is a very valid person to join us today talking about scleral lenses. Sheila, now that you're new to us, I think it's kind of a fun thing that we do. We were thinking about um, asking you maybe one of your like highlights of your day, patient of your day, maybe something that someone could learn about. Um, you know, we all are 
doing all you're like curing the world of a uh, corneal disease but like what else do you what are, what are, what's something that you could bring up for today you guys want a clinic case from today yeah, something, Love it. Something. yes 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 so um you know we see a lot of specialty patients at the university of houston being a teaching institute it's wild over there and probably the one today though that's i guess my patient of the day would be i would consider a failure of mine you know i had a, yeah, like a week or two ago we saw a patient who was just a routine scleral patient. She had had RK. We're managing her vision with uh, scleral lenses and, uh, you know, decided on her comprehensive that her fit wasn't so good anymore. So we went ahead and decided to modify, ordered some new lenses, uh, unremarkable health exam, and had her back to the clinic today, actually, for her dispense appointment. Should have been just a slam dunk, really easy, you know, bad fit, modify, pick up the lenses, and we're done. But today she came in and she had, you know, the lenses we ordered were it was so bad on the left eye. I couldn't understand what had happened. You know, the lens was bearing hard centrally. Her vision wasn't good. And so, you know, tracing back to the steps, I went back to try to figure out what we had done wrong. And, you know, I went back to look and decided to kind of rewind and play investigator. And so we went and measured the base curve and power of the lenses she came in wearing and realized that she did not come in wearing what we thought she had. You guys, we all get this, right? And you forget. I mean, a patient will come in wearing their habitual lenses. You can work off those very easily. But one of the things that you have to remember is to always, always, always go back and measure any habitual lens, base curve and power, so you know exactly what it is that you're working from. So we totally wasted her time today, wasted my time. And so moving forward, I guess it's just a reminder for me. It's something that I forgot to have my student do. So that, that, that was my patient of the day. It was actually a failure, uh, just a little lesson to remember. Oof, those are solid burns. Bam. <laughs> I, I have a quick question uh, for both of you. Do you have a radioscope in, in the clinic? Is that oh. something you have easily available? Sure do. Yeah, we've got, we've got oh. about four in our clinic. Oh, four. Some of them get a little dusty. They're a little dusty. Some of them are probably from the 1970s or earlier, actually. Those there are, are two. That, there's two that work well, and so I chose one of those today and went back to the basics, and it worked out. Oh, <laughs> those nice. are those are the spoils of being in a in a oh. teaching institution, right, Jimmy? Oh my God! Yeah, I just I'm like shining like lights through the lens. Yeah, to yeah, see, yeah. You know, Try like, to see if you guessing. can figure out based on thickness because we're yeah. that good, right? <laughs> but, I'm gonna be uh, honest. We do have two, but we also have some pretty like well established. Uh, contact lens opticians that work in my office so oh that is so nice to have isn't it yeah oh yeah Yeah. although only one really works so maybe only one yeah yeah nice nice what about you roy what's your what's your thought of the day patient of the day you know i'd say the the one that really caused me the most strife today is kind of like tailing on sheila's comment i had this patient come in he only wanted a contact lens evaluation which i really hate doing i really like the whole picture but he had recently had an exam he lost a left lens he was wearing his old one but he had his contact lens prescription so i was like okay whatever wearing gp lenses but you know how much do you hate when you get a prescription that you're supposed to mimic that's like base curve, power, for the lens design, it's Boston XO. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? So yep. he seemed super like nice and joking and jovial and whatever. He just wanted something better than what he had. So I was like, okay, no problem. I was like, this might be a little tough because the lens doesn't fit great. But, you know, from what I have, I'll do what I can and I'll get you some new lenses. I ordered some basic uh, aspheric GP lenses. Turns out he has an old Meguiar 
or Maguire or whatever, an old keratoconic lens in his left eye. So he gets a new lens and he's like, this is terrible. But like, instead of being like somewhat reasonable, he was like, you fit this so wrong. You suck. This is terrible. <laughs> I can't wear this. Ever. I was yeah. like, and then when I was telling him, I was like, that's like telling me like a 16 letter word, but just pronouncing it for me and expecting me to know how to spell it and write the word properly. Like, I'm never going to be able to do that. Ooh, that's a good way to. You like that? Yeah. That just rolled off like, the tongue. That was good. But he still that's didn't get it. He was just mad. And so that was just frustrating. And, and then he was like, I was like, you know, I didn't even know you had keratoconus. You didn't tell me that. And I didn't, you didn't do a full exam. You only wanted to pay for a contact lens fitting, which I don't like doing anyway. And he was like, why didn't you have my old charts? And I was like, because you didn't fill out a release form. And you just brought me the contact lens. I mean, it was just everything I did was wrong. I should have just done it the right way like I like to do it. But I was trying to be nice to this guy. But then he ended up blaming me for everything that I should have done anyway. And I was like, you know, see, I should have told me so and just done that right. And <laughs> But anyway. I should have told me so. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with the Chinese soup or whatever it is. Yeah. But totally different. Right. So. Different. Got different. It. <laughs> So so my patient, I felt like a rock star today. I was just going to say, I'm hoping Jimmy has something positive that yes, he did today yes. because I, I Ryan did. and I, I really. Like <laughs> an absolute rock star because a couple of days ago, actually it was about a week ago, um, my retina specialist uh, was, he comes in once a week, he was next door and he's like, you know, and him and I are actually working on getting on uh, staff at a couple different hospitals right now. And um, he's on staff at one. Basically, he doesn't want to take the call. And most of the stuff is not is anterior segment. So anyway, <clears throat> he said, you know, come take a look at this patient. Um, they have a huge central corneal ulcer. You know, I really want you to take care of it. So anyway, I came over, looked at it. And um <laughs> the patient has the contact lens still on his eye. (laughs) So he's at it there for probably, you know, who knows how long. I mean, it is, it is like ingrained in his corner. What kind of lens Um, is he wearing? It's the guy has no clue. Probably an Oasis. Yeah. Some soft, (laughs) Soft some some soft lens of some kind has no clue. It's in there. Thought the lens was off, but there's these huge deposits on the front of the eye. I'm like, that's not his cornea. That's a lens. So sustained him. And sure enough. Yeah. So he had seen him in the ER the night before said to come into the office that day. Anyway, we took the lens off and, you know, he's, he's had, you know, some aggressive topical therapy. We put a Procara on a couple days ago and um, I saw him back today and he's doing great. So anyway, the point of the, the discussion is, you know, just because we're in one field or the other, it's nice to collaborate. And, um, you know, I certainly appreciated that. And uh, it was just a nice outcome. So anyway, don't you love when it's like semi simple? It like, was pretty simple. You have a lens in your eye. Take it <laughs> the out. Guy, See you later. Yeah, yeah. And the guy is like, you know, wants to bring lunch for the staff. I mean, he's just great. You know, the pain the guy was in was just unreal. He's your new most anyway. loyal patient. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was kind of fun. Not something that I had ever seen, you know, at that degree before. So it was pretty good. Oh yeah. Did you learn anything new today? One new thing that you learned. Two seconds. Keep it simple. <laughs> anybody am i up am i up Is yeah that... you're, you're up sheila yeah yeah, yeah. doctor oh a new thing i mean we discussed today a little bit um in the clinic some new applications or ideas for corneal cross-linking so oh. i actually had a patient a couple of years ago that had uh post-refractive ectasia and she went of all places to canada for cross-linking and came back with a? prk and cross-linking on a cornea that was already 
you know, 300 microns prior. So wow. that was kind of interesting. I hadn't heard about that before, and it, she seemed to do okay for the next year. And today we're talking about potential applications, maybe even doing, you know, using cross-linking to freeze corneal molding and ortho-okay and things like that. So that would be a new thing that I was thinking about today. Kind of a cool application for cross-linking in the future to watch out for. It's going to be like cool it. to see how that all progresses, you mm-hmm. know, now that it's approved. Oh, uh, yeah. Back when I was at my fellowship at KCI Institute, they were I was in a meeting where they were talking about actually trying to write up the um, IRB for doing that sort of study. Oh, wow. And it was super fascinating listening to that because that's obviously a huge deal getting the IRB stuff. But it was really interesting to listen to that. So I think that's on our forefront, which would be awesome for especially our low keratoconic patients or um, mm-hmm. care to, uh, post post uh, cataract surgery, um, which would be pretty awesome for. Yeah, I mean, I'm not patients. convinced it's evidence based enough necessarily with a little more study. But I know the patient that I saw, she went from 2400 uncorrected to 2025 uncorrected. That's huge because they did the PRK in addition to the cross linking. It's pretty wild huge well yeah that's awesome what about you jimmy you know i'm i'm still trying to figure out what i learned but <laughs> the general idea because I, I i don't know what i'm going to yet learn from it don't you love that when you encounter oh, yeah. something at, at clinic and you're like i need to like really research this i need to i want to know more about this so i have a, a good friend actually who's become a patient and um, she's had lid retraction syndrome for the past two or three months, like oh, no. serious lid retraction. And I sent her for um, a, a comprehensive thyroid panel. I ordered the tests and sent her to an endocrinologist and her thyroid levels were like through the roof. They were insane. And um, the, the uh, endocrinologist just sent her uh, home and said, let's, let's wait. There's a lot of stress in your life. You're breastfeeding. You're, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, a lot of different crazy things going on in your life. Uh, let's, let's reevaluate this. And, uh, so she went back and her levels, which were like five times the normal level went down and all she did was alter, you know, some stress in her life. So I didn't know that, (laughs) that your thyroid levels can alter that, that significantly with just stress and also breastfeeding. So it's kind of interesting. She still has a lid retraction, however. Sure. And, you know, so I'm probably going to get a neuro ophthalmologist involved. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's just something, you know, I'm learning a little bit more about, but I feel like I have a lot more to, to learn. Definitely. Anyway. Well, should we do a quick little speed round to meet Sheila a little more? I know I just kind of talked her up, yeah. but meet yeah. Sheila. Yeah. So this we're is kinda, not you know, in, the, in the program that I see. Oh, oh it's not. Surprise. I think <laughs> it's <laughs> clearly <laughs> posted that this is when you don't know what's coming and it's coming <laughs> I mean, this fast is just mostly like we want every, we, we hear all, all of the like old, well reputable, but you know, names that are around on the circuit a lot. And you're you're a, a new go-getter, and everyone needs to know who you really are, Shishi. So maybe we're just going to do a couple of questions. Quick, no thinking, you know, just answer. So we'll start with something easy, like where do you practice? University of Houston, College of Optometry. Uh, what's your favorite part of what you do? Uh, two things, actually. So I love working with students. And I love the level of medical cases we get there. It's just a huge variety. First thing off the top of my head, yeah. Vanilla or chocolate? Oh, chocolate. All right. 
Favorite eye problem to see? Uh, probably keratoconus. Ooh. Dog or cat? Oh, Ty. I'm such oh, an animal dog. lover. I know I can't choose between them. I can't play favorites like that, you guys. Yes, you can. Ooh, dogs, tough. dogs. <laughs> but that says a lot about you. Uh, stranded on a desert island, toothbrushed, toothpick, or floss? Uh, I'm going to have to say you can only take toothbrush. One. All right. Agreed. I don't, I've never thought about that, but I would say I agree. Um, what's your refractive error? Ooh, yeah. Super, super wimpy. I'm like a minus 50, minus 50. I'm against the rule, though. So, oh. Yes. I can't quite squint through that really slight blur. Um, of course you'd be <laughs> against the rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only, only you would, you know, come up with that. Or only, you know, one of us. Only those who live the optometry lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> I made the cut then. Damn. Yes. <laughs> you have free time. You're going to either read a book, go for a jog, or fall asleep. What do you do? Go for a jog. Nice. She's a go-getter. She loves yes. the... She's she loves the yes girl. She's the never stop, let's go girl. Oh, I hear it. I hear it. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's either, why she's Sheila. killing it. That's a good it. thing. That's right. What's your number one goal, Sheila? Number one goal, something you're working for. It could be in any facet of your life. Uh, I guess create, uh, create, create the life I want to live. So it's a big like mixture where there's the work, work-life balance. So the work home is kind of in equilibrium and symbiosis. Yes. <sighs> love that. Good. And then a number one fear. Spiders? Yes. <laughs> so it's real. Legs. That's a real struggle, actually. Arachnophobia, like a, a very, no? Very, very real struggle, yeah. Nothing should have eight legs. Why do you need that? They're so creepy. Four is plenty. S- six too many, <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, so if optometry fails, what would you do? Um, I would probably move out to the island and perhaps... Um, just try to find a skill that I could use to, you know, work at a market, work in some kind of music it, environment. I don't know, something just related to the arts. I can't really so, say exactly what that would be, but I would be moving away from science and just revamping something in the arts. You'd be on an island with your toothbrush. And, <laughs> Listening and to arts. music. <laughs> <laughs> with a dog and a cat. And a hammock. And some chocolate. <laughs> chocolate ice cream. And a baby. Or ten. Yes. This doesn't. Yes. This doesn't. This sounds good. It sounds like a good. Well, I think I've I've hit mine. All I wanted to hit. I think Did we got them any? all. We we know all the right, real good. Sheila now. Let's yeah. let's uh, jump into our topic. Jimmy, you want to start us? Yeah. So we are. We 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 came up with this discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago. There was a discussion on one of the Facebook groups that I think we probably all are a part of. And basically, you know, the discussion was about, in particular, new grads um, getting involved in scleral lenses. And some of them had the extern five pack by Valley Contacts. And they were very excited about this. And they were, you know, talking about uh, starting to fit the lenses and how it was easy. And I think that was almost misconstrued as uh, that that this is something that doesn't require, you know, I think obvious attention, follow up and, and education and, and so on. So, you know, I it just in my head, I just wanted to come up with a thought of what is required? What do you need to do? And what is acceptable? What's not acceptable? But also keeping in mind that we're all sort of young 
doctors and you know we all had to kind of start somewhere so how do you inspire a generation of doctors that want to go out and utilize this um but is is there on the flip side a a negative uh ramification of people that only kind of dabble so that's that's sort of the discussion um that i'd like to start about scleral lens controversies yeah, and to add to that a little bit, Sheila, I'm sure just how much you're lecturing and different um, education, just even directly being in the at the university, how often do people ask you questions, even practicing doctors, where you're thinking, oh gosh, how far do I go with somebody who is just learning to fit sclerals? Where, where, what's that? What's that cutoff? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because there is, um, it's interesting, you know, we all know that fitting a scleral on a fairly, you know, simple case can actually be, a, in some ways, a lot easier than fitting a corneal GP. Um, it can be something that can be done fairly easily. You know, students will fit each other routinely with very little difficulty. And so I do get that quite often, you know, you'll start to understand or recognize questions that students or, or, or doctors that are out there practicing of all ages, um, and you can start to recognize the experience level and kind of the understanding. And sometimes, you know, to be honest, it is, I wouldn't use the word alarming necessarily, but just maybe a lack of understanding of what it really means to fit that kind of a medical device. Now, that being said, I completely agree with Jimmy, though. Everyone has to start somewhere. And so um, I think it's completely reasonable to have, we were all there at one point too, right, where the questions are kind of bare bones and you have to kind of work through it. And so as an educator, that's what I know I'm there for. And I would probably argue that, you know, the two of you as well, being as experienced as you are, would be able to, you know, handle and kind of steer people that come to you for advice in the right direction. We're really spoiled. You know, we're used to this kind of life and practice of, you know, specialty lenses and sclerals are routine. But in reality, it's just it isn't routine for everybody every day. And so I try to remember that when fielding those types of questions and just kind of take it one question at a time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure, Jimmy, you can relate in my role. Obviously, I'm practicing at a private practice in Seattle, but I also do some consulting with Valley Contacts particularly. And in that role, I've gone to different events where I'm educating doctors and obviously representing the brand. But I'm really my my inspiration is representing scleral lenses and educating patients or doctors on how to fit scleral lenses and talk about them. And I want people to know what to say to patients, but I also don't want a patient coming to me saying, I tried that before and it didn't work. You know what I mean? There is a level that you need to be comfortable doing it. And of course you have to practice and that takes chair time, but you need to understand really what you're doing. What Sheila, what instruments do you feel are absolutely necessary in fitting scleral lenses? Jimmy and I kind of talked about some of the things we think, but what do you think once you leave the spoil, or if you ever do leave the spoils of the university, what do you think you absolutely have to have to manage uh, and treat with scleral lenses? Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, that's an interesting question. And I think that it goes kind of, there's a range to be honest, because I've been in environments where, or I guess clinical settings where it's very bare bones. And so if you talk about what you, the bare minimum that you really need to fit, I would argue that, you know, if you do have experience and you understand what you're doing, you really could do it with a slit lamp. And that would be, a, you could do it. And I've done it, you know, I know that the two of you have done it. Um, but the way that I look at that in terms of the tools you need, if you're going to be 
a specialty lens fitter, and this applies to other specialty lenses too, so not just sclerals, maybe orthokeratology or there's other, you know, specialty modalities, you know, cutting corners on the right tools is not going to serve you, especially if you're starting out or if you're maybe not fitting multiple fits every single day. So the bare minimum would be a slit lamp, but to be perfectly honest, you know, I would never consider, you know, looking at fitting a scleral lens without a corneal topography because that is a piece that I need to not only, I guess, confirm that they're not a candidate for other lens modalities, but to understand kind of what the pathology is that you're dealing with to go ahead and do your best with the scleral. So those are my two favorites. And of course, I'm pretty spoiled. So now I couldn't imagine practicing without the opportunity to do, you know, corneal scleral topography is very, very helpful. It's an advantage. It's not needed, but it definitely has given me a completely different perspective on fitting the lenses. And I find I've definitely have more success by looking at ocular shape beyond the limbus. So for me, it's, I think those would be the three things that I would require for a scleral practice. Now, I realize corneal scleral topography is definitely not something that the average practice is going to have. So to back to your question, I would say slit lamp is a minimum. Topography would be definitely required. And then, of course, all the solutions and, you know, the plungers, all of the contact lens type products that go along with any kind of contact lens fitting. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that question. I, I 100% agree with what you said. I mean, I think... <clears throat> You know, anybody who says that anterior segment OCT is required is not <laughs> is, is not on the right wavelength, in my, in my own opinion. And Dr. Dr. Habibi agreed with me last time. You're actually one who brought it up, Roya. Definitely. That, um, you know, people who, you know, feel like they need an anterior segment OCD to confirm anything about the lens are shortchanging themselves and gaining the clinical acumen to accurately grade the lens on the eye and, and observe changes over time. So I think that that's being pushed by industry and, and it's nice, but I don't believe that it's absolutely necessary. In fact, I think it's unnecessary. It's nice. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's necessary. So I, I would, I would say, you know, definitely a slit lamp. Um, you know, my first, four months in practice i started fitting lenses fast and furious we didn't have anybody doing it in 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 our area and uh only a slit lamp and it was fine you know it was absolutely fine i think it made me better actually um because i really had to be more aware of you know the the vault and really assessing it um very very closely um, definitely now I couldn't go back to not having it. I, I, th- I could, but I, I would choose not to. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I think. Is, what do you, uh, what do you both think about, um, endothelial cell count? And obviously we know that the risk of, uh, lack of oxygen or hypoxia of the cornea is stressed by a scleral lens and all of the fluid that comes along with it. But what do you think about, monitoring that for patients. I personally, we have a, um, an ability to measure that at my practice, but first of all, you, we all know it's accuracy is a little bit variable. And to be honest, I haven't really checked it. What do you guys think? think Regularly? Yeah, I think it moves into, that's a whole nother area of, you know, and this is, goes back to the very first thing that we were talking about in regards to you know, what what makes an expert or what makes somebody qualified or, you know, can a, a newbie start fitting scleral lenses? Is it easy? You know, there's a whole standard of care that comes along with these patients that really actually has, you know, it's an extension of the fitting itself. The patient management often involves monitoring for progression of whatever pathology you're dealing with, 
pill management, and all kinds of different measurements to make sure that, you know, whatever medical device we're using, and we're talking about sclerals, but this applies to other lenses too, that the, the you know, the surface beneath it and the cornea and the rest of the eye is staying healthy. And so, again, you guys know that we're, you know, I'm spoiled in an academic setting, just like you, Roy, actually, with the ability to take the endothelial uh, microscopy measurements. And I like having it. Um, it's nice to have as a baseline. You know, ophthalmology will sometimes ask for it. Um, we try to measure it every year if we can. Um, but that being said, it is you have to interpret it properly because, you know, there's uh, some literature or some lines of thinking that would say, okay, well, you know, the cutoff, there's a hard cutoff under maybe 800 to 1,000 um, in your cell count would mean this patient should not be fitted in a square lens, which we know is actually not true because I've had patients, you do endothelial microscopy and they have a perfectly normal-ish cell count. And the um, reality is they actually can't hold a scleral lens. Whereas a patient in maybe at a 600 to 800 level, you know, you weigh the risk and benefit, they might do perfectly fine with the lens. So you have to kind of just look at the patient and measure a whole bunch of different, different things every time that you see them. Absolutely. Do you tend to limit people's time in lenses if they have a particular endo value? Uh, not necessarily because, again, some of these patients, if you look at the risk and benefit, you know, um, you know, they're not able to function half the time when they're not wearing the lenses. And so you just have to watch them a little bit more closely. What do you guys think about older, some of the older clinicians I've come across that are fitting scleral lenses that tend to fit the lens a little bit too tight on the limbus. I mean, I find that to be a bit of a trend. Um, and I'm not to say that everyone that's a little bit older is fitting tight on the limbus, but I think probably because they're experts at the art of adjusting a corneal lens and then trying to apply that directly to a scleral lens and they don't exactly correlate. Have you run across this at all? You know, I think that's a fine line because, you know, I used to fit really with a lot of space at the limbus and that brings some complications on its own. And so I think that fitting a little tighter on the limbus, I haven't really noticed um, in particular, but you're probably right about that in that, you know, you, you would see that a little bit. And I think that it's something that is not necessarily problematic as long as you're monitoring the limbal area properly for, you know, any staining or any other complications. Yeah, I, I agree too. I, I think that I'm doing that more now. I think I, mm -hmm. I started out the opposite way, just like so Sheila did. I, did. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I feel like I look back on some of my, you know, several year follow-ups now and I'm like, what were you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like a, inferiorly so decentering lens. Oh yeah, the big yeah. belly hangs low, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, no, it's so true, and you know, it's funny that you say that too. That that's interesting. So you are fitting a little, and by tight on the limbus, I don't mean tight on the limbus. I mean adequate Less space. On the limbus. Yeah, yeah. It's just but not what is that? Right. Yeah. Right. So what is that to you? Does that does that? Because that's what somebody would ask, right? Like, so what? What is adequate? Is it a micron amount? Is it is it an appearance? Do you just see fluorescein? What does it mean? Right. Yeah. You know, and that's a tough one. And really, the answer is we don't really have a great standard of care for that because right. we all vary just a little bit. And so, I guess for me, adequate on the limbus would be, uh, you know, ideally no marks left behind. You know, we all aim for that. Sometimes it's not always possible. And then we also want to make sure that we're not ending up with signs of hypoxia. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I, I'm just not sure that there's a standard. You can't really tell the microns. Like as you scan over and you're getting super, super thin, 
some will say, oh, you want 50 microns, 100 microns, this and that. And in reality, I don't really believe that you, as the lens slopes down, it's really hard to measure that. And the lens does translate a bit when the eye moves too. And so, um, you know, it's a, that's a tough question to answer. Definitely. How often do you photograph what your cornea looks like pre and post fitting? Because, you know, for instance, I had a patient today. She's got a graft. It's not that great. She, I, I don't remember seeing this the first time I saw her, but also my lens is fitting pretty nicely. She's got a little bit of like microcystic edema in her host, like in her own cornea, only at the superior margin. And I was thinking like, shucks, did I do that? Like, did my lens do that? She's not complaining, but I didn't document that. I didn't notice it. And you know, sometimes that's so subtle. You just breeze right over it. So, right. You know, you kind of just blew my mind, to be honest. Because I just realized I don't image people in that way looking for that necessarily unless they're a previous right? wearer. I don't think I don't I don't actually take anterior segment photos with dye on the I, I don't really look at that, to be honest. Um, that's a really interesting idea. And I might just start doing that because you're right. Like, the, how do you know what the effect of the right, lens a is? A small little branch of Neo coming toward a graft. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really that's not that unusual. Why? Why would mm-hmm, I think anything mm-hmm. of that? Absolutely. Maybe I would make a little note yeah. of superior Neo, but how am I going to know if that changes that much? That's just it. I love I love the anterior seg camera. It is a huge piece of patient education for us, especially with dry eye, big dry eye practice. And uh, we love to take that picture. And you can build punctate keratitis, you know, as a reason why you're doing, doing the picture. And almost all of them are going to have some level of punctate keratitis, which, you know, is, is important for, you know, your clinical decision-making. So I think, you know, uh, photographing it, which I'm going to just take one, two second Liberty here. Cause I took an awesome anterior segment <laughs> photograph today. Actually, it was a video. Did you ever go to like the pimple popping yes, websites? Pimple popping. Oh, whoa. I just got tingles <laughs> thinking about the pimple. I, I popped today. Oh, you're like, one of those. Hey, I, I don't know if I don't know if I liked it or not. Like this was unreal. Like this, it was. It looked like a sty, okay, but it was soft. It was. It was harder than a sty. I have so many things pain, to say here, but, but I won't. It was just unbelievable. It was like this big round. I mean, it was perfect. And there was just like a little white head coming out. And I'm like, Roy's oh. having an emotional response. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, boy, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and give that a try. So I took a <laughs> took my finger. I'm like, I'm going to take care of you today, Mrs. Jones. So I took my finger on the front and then took a you know Q-tip and, you know, got that in there on the back. And I saw it was like starting to cheese out. And I'm like, hold on. I got to set no, up the camera. <laughs> so I set up the camera and it came out like a fire hose. Oh, you did not. not get, yeah. Oh, my yes. goodness. Yes. I'm going to get the video and we'll post it. And that it's is going to go viral. That is going to go viral. <laughs> I'm telling what you. What do we call that? Anything Dr. anybody Stye heard Popper? about scleral lenses. Tonight they're gonna totally. We need a better name for that. Pimple poppers, not <laughs> not equivalent. Sty Slayer, maybe. Ooh, <laughs> Slayer. Yes. I'm telling you, Sergeant Sty so Slayer. I, <laughs> this is where magic starts to happen. Nice. Yeah. So I apologize for that totally nonsense. Need it. Needed uh, that addition to to this evening's conversation. To the scleral lens discussion. <laughs> hey, yeah. a sty is gonna make scleral lens feel uncomfortable. But seriously, on the knee or on the <laughs> punctate keratitis comment, that actually yeah. leads me to another thought that I had. You know, I feel like as new, whether it be new practitioners or even older ones that have been around for a long time, 
I think in the millennial age, we just expect like, I want to see everything I want to see here. I want it available now so that when I go to look for it, it's available for me. I know what I'm doing. I can go on YouTube. You know, you want those resources. And how many times have you seen a patient, a returning patient, hopefully not yours, but for, for me, it tends to be people that haven't come to see me before come in with scleral lenses. And their vision's kind of shaky, not exactly what I expect. You take the lens off and their cornea is just garbage. And you pop that question like, hey, what do you put in your lens? And they tell you, BioTrue or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, such a, like, why, why? Yeah, you know, solutions are always the culprit for that toxicity unless proven otherwise. Oh my gosh. And, you know, it's funny, you'll get patients that have been habitual scleral patients for years, you know. And it's, you know, you still, you know, you'll get the patient that what kind of solutions are you using and how are you using them? And it's amazing some of the things people are doing and they, they, they're doing the best they can. That's what they thought they were supposed to do. So they'll, you know, they'll rinse with saline, store it in saline and then fill it with a conditioning solution or something that's just full of preservative and chemical. And so, yeah, no, we definitely, we definitely stress that with our students. As soon as you see that kind of toxicity, your first suspect has got to be solutions. Or rinse with water. Put it in solution. Oh, yeah, that one makes me go. Fill with solution. Yeah. Isn't it like, okay, yeah. believe it or not, you guys, I was looking online. I was just trying to get some scleral lens facts. And I got to reference this, so I'm going to botch this percentage. But I know it was around 60% of doctors recommend preservative-free saline solution for filling. What about the other 40%? Yeah, I got to think something's wrong with that statistic. I, I don't know. I'm calling bull I mean, Just because I... I don't know. I just I, I think it's just such an integral part of I mean, it's part of the refractive system, you know, so I think it's it's not like an artificial or a, a soft lens solution. You just, you know, pick up whichever one. That's just my own opinion. I, I I'm not questioning. That no, you read right? it, but I feel like there's something amiss with the overall. Isn't it very standard? Question no, or, no you know. solution, but preservative free and no water on a scleral lens. Like I thought that's just like that, comes in the definition. That is the universal standard. Yeah. If there was a standard for scleral right. lenses, that, that is it. Yeah. Actually, believe it or not, it also referenced the fact that I think it said 85% of practitioners recommend hydrogen peroxide for cleaning. Do you guys feel the same? Uh, you know what? I think it's the easiest to, to explain. So I think that that is becoming more common. I like hydrogen peroxide for some patients just because of the uh, ability to have them using a solution that does not expose them to preservative. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, but one thing that I always, sometimes I'll stay away from this depending on how often they're wearing the lenses is whenever you're using that kind of a system, it's really important to remind, pa- or I guess to educate patients on the fact that, you know, after that neutralization period, that is saline with no preservative and no chemical cleaner in it. And bugs can grow in that at that yeah. point. And so if you're storing the lens for anything longer than, you know, than for, you know, 24 hours or longer, it really isn't acceptable to be using just by itself. Um, and so that's one thing that I always try to kind of look at the patient's lifestyle, how often they're wearing the lenses. Of course, most of our scleral patients wear them daily, um, but that's something that I consider too. But I do like peroxide. I probably use like a 50-50. I use a lot of conditioning systems as well. Um, so I'm not really married to peroxide on its own but i certainly use it a lot just for the lack of preservative it's great what is the grossest thing that you've seen somebody put in their eye or like put their lens into have you ever seen like a gnarly case oh case oh my idea get out of my head that was my thing (laughs) (laughs) 
So a gnarly case, right? Like, well, that's, I mean, that's uh, definitely, it comes, you know, there, you, you get the, the patient that pulls out their packet with their bag and all of their supplies and yeah. takes out one thing after another. And the case has like black stuff in there and hair or whatever. And that's pretty uh, gnarly. Yeah. I have a, yes. like a, a pretty standard approach of shame for those patients. <laughs> I like to shame people a little bit. I mean, there's a level. I don't yeah. want to cross the line of like, this doctor made me feel stupid. But I want people to feel slightly ashamed for what they show me if it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I need you to recognize. She's the wall of shame this is gross. in the office. <laughs> and that's- Here's a lady with a tooth or a fingernail in yes. her case. Here's the lady with, you know, food. I often like to bring up either the bathtub analogy and bathwater analogy yes. Or my favorite go-to, and I did not make this up. I'm pretty sure AOA did, but the underwear analogy. Like, come on, people. It's a good it's just, one. That was a good it campaign. It was a good campaign. Really? I mean, it's good campaign. It's such yeah. a strong one. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we're all on the same page with that. What do you guys think about Hydropeg? It's a new hot topic, adding Hydropeg to your lenses. A lot of the different labs now will add Hydropeg, or you can add a Hydropeg. What do you guys think about that? What's your experience so far? You know, Hydropeg is something that's, you know, another tool in the toolbox for us. Um, I certainly do use it for uh, patients that are having um, issues with, you know, lenses picking up deposits or for whatever reason, materials not wetting well. It's something that we'll try when other things are failing. We also have lenses that are, you know, coated with a standard Hydropeg. And I think that it's definitely something that uh, can be useful for some patients. Uh, a couple of things that maybe would be negatives, the lenses are definitely slippery, so they're harder to handle. Um, there is extra cost involved in it um, that then, then translate to the patient or to the, the clinic. Um, so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, is it really necessary? Some of our labs are moving more and more toward using it on all their lenses, and I definitely don't think that's incorrect. What do you guys think about Hydropeg? I'm like 50-50, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. like 50-50. And sometimes I, I order it for no apparent reason, you know, but <laughs> yep. because yep, absolutely. I'm just, you know, hey, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it on this one. You know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. give it a try. And it's just sort of mm-hmm. a feeling. I think I'm still trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. to be honest. I guess, you know, tier- go ahead. Oh, Sorry, no, Ryan. I was just going to say for me, if it's a patient that hasn't had it before and they're not complaining, that's something I haven't mm-hmm. necessarily brought up. That could be a wrong decision, but... For people that are complaining about dryness at all, I usually recommend it or not recommend, offer it as an option and could be placebo. Who knows? I mean, I do know that there is a coating and it is more slippery, but most people come back saying that they like how it felt so, or they notice a difference. So I'm not quite sure. I, I, I feel like it is helpful and actually I had a patient that has pretty bad uh, graft versus host who, man, her lens is were barely wet every time I saw them in her eyes and there's nothing she could really do about that. And she seems to think that it stays soft, like it feels better in her eye for longer periods of time. That doesn't mean that it's going to stay wet by any means, but it does help a little bit for her comfort. You know, I think that's a common report from practitioners that I speak with and patients that use it. I mean, it's definitely something that is in our toolbox and we, we use it all the time. Definitely. Nice. You know, so, you know, Going going back to this <clears throat> sort of initial discussion discussion that we started about, you know, new practitioners, old practitioners, you know, how many do you have to have fit to be a specialist? When are you comfortable or not? It, 
Chill. Have you ever experienced that? Like where you're you're sort of new to the scene, but yet you know you've you've put your time in, and and you know you're you're you've done the residency, you've you know really thrown yourself after this, where you kind of run into this sort of old guard mentality, and has that ever? been something you've run into or no you know I've been really lucky I mean I was a little bit spoiled in the scleral lens world because my master's degree is also in scleral lenses so I've had a pretty saturated experience from the beginning so I've never really been challenged myself in that way um but I guess uh you know when when you guys when we start talking about this topic at the beginning I guess I'll just bring up you know one of the first things that comes to mind is um for me with patients and equipping doctors to be qualified to fit scleral lenses, because both of you have asked that question during this, you know, this podcast, I actually have really opinionated that this starts with our education system. And I think that we're starting to do a good job of that. It's kind of like any other skill. It's, you know, a corneal GP, you know, doing a glaucoma testing, whatever. These are all things that optometrists are, you know, learning in school. And I think that there is a level of expertise with any of these devices that we use. So for the more complex medical cases and all those types of things, yeah, you're not going to pick that up in optometry school necessarily. You're going to need a residency or you're going to need a mentor or a practice where you start to see those types of patients. But, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I think we're throughout North America doing a pretty good job of integrating this more and more into the curriculum. And I think that's really positive. So when you guys, when you ask me if new practitioners are qualified or can they, I think in some cases they're possibly even more qualified than sometimes docs that have been out for a while and just coming back to learn the scleral lenses. Definitely. That's a great point. And Couldn't agree actually more. you brought that up, Sheila, but I think back to my days at optometry school and we learned contact lens fitting in our third year, I believe in school. And I remember vividly learning one or one day in lecture, learning about scleral lenses. And mm. I remember the comment being said, scleral lenses are a last resort treatment option. Mm-hmm. and it's used for more extreme cases then fast forward two years to my residence or to my internship year or my extern locations and I was at a location at Walter Reed working with the specialty contact lens fitter there and he too was saying that scleral lenses are a last resort we don't jump to them very often and you know I'm not saying that we should jump to them and I'm sure I know Sheila I've heard you talk before saying how we really should do a better job really understanding when a corneal GP is the better option for patients but there's also it doesn't need to be a last resort it doesn't need to be held at that same standard of our labs are catching up in such a excellent way that it gives us the ability to predict what we're going to do each time we make an adjustment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're not, it's a very, uh, the industry is progressing quickly. Um, and so I, I agree completely that, it, you know, we don't want to throw the kitchen sink at every patient necessarily. And that doesn't just apply to contact lenses. This is every area of healthcare, right? Um, you know, even beyond op- optometry and eyes, it's our whole body. We're not going to, you know, throw the kitchen sink at every problem that we have. But at the same time, we do have the ability to predict, like you said, what is going to be the most successful and a lot of cases, I mean, a scleral lens is just that. And so I, th- I don't think we should be afraid to prescribe them and use them. Absolutely. Right? Well, and another thing, Agreed. too, is when, you, when you're treating, for instance, Jimmy, when you were treating that corneal infection, which, which you w- walked through earlier, if it was, let's say, a uh, 
I don't know, like a stromal keratitis, HSV stromal keratitis that's accelerating and vision's going down, you, I'm sure, would recognize when it would be appropriate to get an expert opinion and knowing when to do that quickly, for instance. And I think that being recognizing your ability and recognizing your comfort level in, in fitting scleral lenses versus fitting a true difficult case, you should know your, your comfort level and you should recognize when this is out of your scope and you should refer to one of your colleagues, even if they may be a competitor in your area. Couldn't agree more. And, and I think, you know, it, it's up to us and, you know, anybody listening who, you know, bills themselves as a contact lens specialist or somebody who's passionate about it to be congenial, yes. you know, to be collegial, to be, you know, what, what I always tell, you know, uh, new grads or other docs that, uh, you know, I'm talking to about how I started, you know, this, this practice is that, you know, I'd go out to get referrals and I'd go out to other eye doctors and I'd say, Hey, this is something I want to do. Some of them were contact lens people. And I said, you know, if you're not, doing this and you want to learn how to do it, I'd be happy to help you learn how to do it. Nobody's taken me up on that <laughs> offer in my area, <laughs> but, but I think it just gives you the, you know, and, but that's a truthfully how I feel, you know, I feel like it's such a cool skill and a wonderful thing that we have that, you know, I, I feel like I want as many people to be able to access that and go after it with the same, you know, passion and excitement that I've been able to do. Or at um, least tell patients about without, it. Without, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, if you feel like you're out of your comfort zone, like you were saying, to, to go ahead and do that. But Jimmy, what a great point. I mean, outside of an academic setting, our industry is so supportive of workshops and, you know, the, the opportunities for webinars and CE related to scleral lenses and getting training, everything from your basic 101 all the way up to, you know, complications. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all available. Um, and so I think that, yeah, you're completely right. We definitely are, we're all, I think the three of us would agree, we're very supportive of education of our colleagues and our peers. If you're wanting to learn, there are resources, you know, getting connected with our industry partners and, you know, from wherever you're, wherever, however you practice, in private practice, academia, the industry is here to support you. Uh, and then on the other side of it, there's a lot of, you know, nonprofit or different organizations that are, you know, global, even like the Scleral Lens Education Society. You know, we have associations for all of these types of devices that are very open and willing to help to, to train the doctors that are interested in becoming that expert. So you start off somewhere and then, you know, take initiative to, to figure out we're all medical professionals that have responsibilities, right? So when we're using medical devices, it's kind of on us to make sure that we do have the appropriate training to be able to work uh, with that device. Absolutely. I guess you guys could probably tell I had hurt feelings over this whole discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I brought it up because it, it does. It speaks. It does. It speaks to me. And, um, you know, because because I, I you said, you know, we're doing a better job in the schools. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and, and when I went to school, we didn't learn scleral lenses, really. I mean, we had like 10 seconds on it in a lecture that's and I didn't it. fit one. I didn't fit right. one single. And the reason I got into it was because Valley Contacts got me a set that I called and asked for because I was rooming with somebody who got a free set from SEO. It was SEO and Pacific that always got, you know, uh, gift sets upon graduation or in your last year or whatever. And uh, so I called and got one and, and I had it when I was in practice. It was like two weeks in and I'm like, 
I got to learn how to do this. So I, I looked it up on YouTube, how to put the lens on, <laughs> you know, this is, so this is where, this is how I started. And, um, you know, but after, after doing that, I was like, this is the most amazing thing. The guy saw 2020, he started crying, you know, the whole story. <laughs> and so, you know, I just, I went to every CE I could, I watched every GPLI webinar. I talked to as many people as I could. I mean, I threw myself at it wholly. And, um, so, so I know that, you know, you don't have to go, the classic route, of course, to, you know, be involved in certain research, et cetera. It's, it's definitely the, the better way. If you know, that's what you want when you're a student. Jimmy, I don't know. I think there's all different paths and they all lead to a certain result. And so for somebody like you, who's taking the initiative, you've gone through all the right channels. I mean, GPLI is a great resource, all those things. I mean, I think your path's been fantastic. Well, thanks. I I now feel, (laughs) I feel accepted now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, but seriously, I, like I think let I think that that's the club. I've been knocking on the door. Let me in. <laughs> oh, you're a leader in this field. Oh, oh he downplays it. We all look up to you, Jimmy. Oh, please, please. <laughs> Jimmy's please. Jimmy's taking the bull by the horn and just taught himself. And you know what? I think that's very well, like it's a humble thing to do to, you know, recognize. I think the contact lens field or niche, if you will, is a little bit of a tight knit group and the, you know, you see the same names in, in all of the lecture circuits and, and they're great, great speakers and they have a lot of great things to say. But also it is a little bit of a tight knit group. And that doesn't mean that there aren't great thought leaders that are coming up. And I think it is more tight knit than oh, any yeah. other. I think industry area, probably prompts say. that a bit, too, just because they have such an opportunity to get together for conferences and events and all these extra things that they do because they have material sales to help back that. But I think kind of in what you're saying and this this speaks to both new optometrists and even older ones that are whether they're just picking it up or trying to hone their skills being humble in in the idea of scleral lens fitting is important because you know we've all done this sometimes sometimes I'll make an adjustment and I'm like I have no idea why I did that or what did I do like do I know what I'm doing I mean I would say once a month that crosses my mind and then I realized, like, I, they're wearing a second lens instead of the third one or whatever. Like, I just didn't check myself. Not to say that I'm perfect by any means, but I do something and I'm like, what did I do? I don't know what I'm doing. And you need to be able to be humble and say, like, how do I fix this? What do I do about this in the future? I want to never make this happen again. So it's... Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't ha- do you have any burning desires anything to you know get off your chest with Sheila here I mean do we need you know you want to ask her I mean this is your chance Mine? this is, this is your chance to ask burning desire anything you want to talk to Sheila about it's you know? <laughs> the last question I don't know <laughs> I mean well should we talk about like maybe a risky topic like what's your favorite lab Oh, that is a risky topic. Oh, that is so too risky. risky. Let me just you know remind I'm you. And I just, I love all the labs. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> like Switzerland. We are generously sponsored by Valley Contacts. Yes, we are. And hey, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> we love Valley. When we people, Valley. when people ask me, "What's your favorite lab?" I mean, obviously, it's easy for me to say Valley Contacts because I truly believe in that, and I'll give you three reasons why. One, I live in the Northwest, so I can get lenses in one day if I need it. Two, I think their consultants are rad and they're very helpful. Three, they from the get-go started with the the kits, the patient kits. 
And so new lens wearers get their little handling kit that has a lens, the plungers, et cetera. And during my fellowship, when I was ordering lenses from a bunch of different companies, when I would hand over $1,000 worth of lenses in a plastic bag and a case that was leaking fluid, I was like, no, (laughs) no. Maybe I have too much of a Nordstrom mentality, like I need to present this nicely. But I just could not. And Valley early on started their patient kit. And I think that's brilliant, both for patient success and for making sure they have everything they need and presenting their marketing themselves well and presenting themselves well. So I I was an early lover of them. And luckily, they have an amazing product and a great team. But otherwise, you know, on the I'll go ahead. On the controversy of the, uh, you know, the fit kits for students or not, that's a hot, that's a, that's, in my opinion, I think it's fantastic that Valley does that for students. Oh, yeah. It's highly, I mean, they, they comes with training, you know, the students visit either the, you know, the, um, visit Valley context if they're nearby. Um, I think with proper training, it's, it's a great opportunity for students and I'm really happy that Valley's done that for so many of them. Absolutely. And you know what, to be honest, and I'm just going to say this super frank, I think the people that are more against it are the people that aren't comfortable fitting scleral lenses. And so they don't want that walking into their clinic and then they have to manage the lens. You know, if you bring your fit kit to uh, uh, one of your external rotations and they don't know how to fit that lens and then they present a patient fitting this lens, obviously this is a conversation you need to have with an intending before you start doing that. But I think that's what makes it a little controversial. Well, what do you think? I I think we should definitely thank... The amazing Dr. Morrison yes. here for, well, for, for joining us tonight. Me. That was a blast. So today. fun. Truly an honor to to be chatting with you. And thank you for taking time out of your your life. And you, you got a beautiful family at home. So congratulations on that, thank too. A little, beautiful little girl. And I know thank how you. wonderful that yeah, is. Yeah, I can't wait to get the kids together at the next conference. It Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It is a lot of, you know, you see that, right? You see other optometrists with their their families and you see them over and over again. It's cool. I've gotten to see them. Some of them grow up mm-hmm. now. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be those kids yeah, <laughs> running back to around. That whole work home community balance. You know, we can do it Absolutely. all. Right? We're going to try. Well, yeah, we, we, we'll definitely try. We'll just there you trying. go. So will, will you come back if we ask you to come back? Will you come back? It'd be, it would be my honor to come back. Uh, Sheila, Good. Sign thank her you up, so Roya. much. And that we really do appreciate everything. I mean, your, your honesty and your expertise really is very important to be able to share that to the masses. And so we appreciate you spending time with us this evening. And thanks a lot. Before we go, again, thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, not only for their lenses, scleral lenses particularly but all of their lenses but also like i said the great people that they are and how fun they are to work with uh be sure to tune in and listen to our next episode july is dry eye month or dry eye awareness month and we're going to be actually speaking about dry eye with a hot celebrity in the dry eye field so hot celebrity tune in i'm I'm gonna you're you're gonna gonna have to listen to figure out who it is (laughs) but until then Try not to blink.